Welcome to the Community Hotline for the community, by the community, presented by 88 Real Estate Media. And today, I'm your host, Mr. Bob Fang. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Justin Holtz. Why don't you introduce yourself, good sir? Uh, hi, my name is Justin Holtz, and I am a artist in the video game industry, and that's pretty much it. I love it. Have you always been a creative? How'd you get into it? Tell us the, the kind of role. Oh, yeah, so the story of me I mean, the, the video game industry, I've only been in for about 18 months. Uh, for the past, I would say, 15 plus years, I was in the film industry, working in visual effects and film. Uh, but before that, uh, it was kind of, I'd like to say, I kind of meandered into this career. Originally, I was in school, pre-med, you know, wanting to be a doctor. I have an older brother who's a doctor. Uh, even went to the same school he went to, you know, had this track on wanting to be in the medical industry and the field. Uh, but very quickly realized that going to school for the next 12, 15 years of my life was maybe not something I wanted to do. Uh, and so just by sheer random happenstance, I had a friend who took a, a really basic animation class as an elective at my university. And she was raving about it. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try it out. And very quickly realized, oh, this is this is something I'm really interested in, more so than anything I did for medical you know, classes and stuff like that in pre-med program. So coincidentally, I also had another brother who was going to an art school at the time. And I was chatting with him one day, and he basically said, you know, if, if you're really serious about this, you need to transfer out of your school because it didn't really have a 3D art program. It was more of a general liberal arts college. Right. And he says, you need to come to this art school. We have, you can get an actual bachelor's of fine art, an actual degree in visual effects. So, you know, transferred out halfway through my two years uh, and then did my final two years at, at the art school and then kind of just started working in the industry, so. Wow. How did yeah. your parents feel about that? Two years after pre-med, they're like, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, my parents have always been very supportive, although cautious and in many ways apprehensive because when you think about going into an artistic field, I think there's preconceived notions and assumptions and, and uh, just stigma behind being a professional artist. Can't really make a lot of money you know, not very stable. And to be honest, in the beginning, it was kind of rocky, you know, because in the visual effects industry, working in film, it was a very transient uh, freelance based career. You work from film to film uh, in the beginning. Eventually, you can work your way into staff positions, more permanent positions at these studios. But for the most part, you're just working from the film. So you're just trying to chase the work and doing it because you love it. Um, and seeing your work on a you know big screen and millions of people can see it, it's pretty wild. So yeah, it, it took about maybe two years into being a visual effects artist before my parents started to realize that maybe you know this was not so transient, not so up in the air and freelance, and you know I could actually make a real living of doing it. So speaking of making a real living, let's move on to the first topic of the day then, which is money. Right. I think this is a pretty important topic with the, with the kids these days. Uh, tell us, what, what is money? What is money to me? Uh, it, it's, it's changed probably in the past half decade. 
uh, I'm a father now. My son just turned five last month. So before, thank you, before becoming a father, money was uh, not a big concern for me. Obviously, you know, I like nice things. I want to live well. So, you know, uh, to be quite honest, I wasn't very good with money mm. early, like in my 20s, uh, into my late 20s, early 30s. Uh, but obviously, once reality changed for me and, and becoming a father meant different responsibilities and, and not just responsibilities, but different things I wanted to do uh, and, and provide, then money became a bit more serious for me with regards to how I spend it, what I do with it, how I save it. Uh, because before I was playing with money, I was playing it more like checkers, just looking down at my feet, just doing one move ahead. Whereas now I'm looking at money more like a game of chess and think about, you know, five, six, seven moves ahead. Mm, can you, can you elaborate on that? Maybe some, maybe some kids can, can relate to what their parents are going through. How, 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 how is your, 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 your money change pre-kid to kid now? I know you mentioned spending habits and all that. Yeah, so before having a, a child, before becoming a father, I was very adamant on making sure I was in a position to provide my son or daughter uh, a life that was similar, if not better, than what I was provided. Mm. And for, I mean, it was, to be quite honest, it was, it was a very high bar because my parents provided quite a lot for me and my family and my kid and my and my brothers and sisters. So we we didn't go without very often. So I wanted to make sure that I provided exactly that or better. Mm. Um, and so, you know, becoming a parent, you're never ready and there's never a good time. It's just one of those things you just jump in uh, because it's one of those things you learn along the way. You, you can't have all the answers in front of you before you start. So <clears throat> for me and my wife, we just realized that, you know, if there's ever a time we want to start a family now's you know kind of time which was five years ago right how i guess what, what were some what are some um did you guys ever what's, what's like a constant worry for you in terms of do you have like money worrying like uh fortunately for me no i don't have any money worrying at this point uh, my constant worry is just m the world my son sees and the world that he lives in the world that he's going to grow up in uh, the craziness that's happening right now, uh, unforeseen craziness that's going to happen in the future, all those kind of things, eh, they're not in the forefront of my worrying mind, but they're always there. I'm always going to worry about, you know, him just not, just enjoying life, you know, doing things, not suffering, not, you know, not struggling. Definitely. I want to make sure my son has more than what I I had. So that's my that's my worry. Did you did you, are you gonna are you gonna teach him any like money education tips? Did you have any money education tips growing up? No, no, I I didn't. Well, <laughs> it's a two part question. Yes, I'm going to try. Uh, but no, I I didn't really have I didn't really have anybody showing me financially. It, to be quite honest, had I been better with my money early on, uh, I'd be in a even better place than I am now. Not to say that I'm in a bad place because I'm not, but uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, and it's what's a good example. This is not a good example, but I'm going to use it anyway. So, at one of the companies I was working at, uh, one of our they had this theme party. It was kind of a 
uh, a casino party, right? So you go in and there's blackjack and there's craps and stuff like that. So there was one, I think it was a game of, I think I was playing roulette. I think I was playing roulette. And, you know, everybody comes into the party and they start with an X number of chips and you, you get what you get. It's all fake money. You're not actually using real money. So right. the risk is zero. But it's this fantasy, right? And I remember thinking, okay, I start with a stack of chips. It's it's not bad. It's you know, it's it's a, a decent amount, but it's not anything to you know call home about. And I started playing this game, and I started winning a lot of chips. And you know, there were numerical values on this money, so you could kind of get an idea of what you had. I think everybody started with like, I think it was like two hundred dollars worth of chips. Okay. And through the course of the night, I started winning and winning and winning, and my stack got huge. I'm talking thousands of dollars worth of chips. And I started realizing, man, if because my pot is bigger, I can take more risks but still reap more rewards because mm-hmm. I'm pulling from a bigger pot. When you're dealing with $100, you can't take risks on $100, right? right. You've got to be frugal, and you have to be very conscious about how you spend that $100. But if you have $10,000, now you have some room to take a risk on an investment here or something there. Definitely, definitely. And I think that planted a seed early on. And this early on, I'm talking like late 20s. This is not early. This is very late in my life uh, so far. And so I started realizing, you know, maybe I should start saving more money because I'm realizing that I can when, and then you start thinking, you extrapolate that, and you're like, oh man, people have a hundred million dollars. They could take five million, invest on that, and then you know reap benefits on that. And then they don't—that's like a drop in the bucket for them. Right, right, right. So now, at the age of thirty-eight, um, I've now finally kind of realized, oh, okay, okay, I need to. You, you can't really. You, you have to spend money to make money, but you also have to have enough to be able to spend that money to make money. And in order to do that, you just have to save and you have to, it, it just, at the end of the day, comes down to priorities. What do I want, mm. basically? Do I want to play this one day at a time or do I want to play this five, 10 years at a time? And and that's, and when you're young, it's difficult to see that. It's very, very difficult because we all think we're invincible. Uh, life is forever. Um, and yeah, it just, it's a different mindset. Definitely. All right. Got it. So you're going to take your, your kid to, uh, to, the, to Vegas, the roulette table. Actually, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to maybe play Monopoly with him. And, you know, because me and my brothers used to play Monopoly religiously. I'm talking, we had games that lasted days. <laughs> and I know people who hate Monopoly because it's a game that lasts forever. But we even came up with uh, ways to play it so you can expedite things. So we can do quick games of Monopoly, which are still a couple hours. Uh, but you know, I think that's a good game in terms of understanding monetary value, but you know, we were just doing it just to play. You know, I was thinking maybe doing it in a context of teaching Nico, you know, money management. I love that. I love that. All right. Teaching. Let's go. Second topic, education, moving along here. Tell us, um, what, what, uh, who were you in high school? High school. I was an athlete, uh, had the dreams of playing in the NBA. That was my life. That was like, there's no, there's no other reality. I'm going to be a professional basketball player until I hit uh, probably senior year of high school and reality set in. I'm like, no, I'm not going to grow any taller. 
not going to jump any higher. You know, I've got some skills, but they're not they're not collegiate level. So I actually forfeited my entire senior year. I just stopped playing uh, for the school and just decided to focus on education uh, because I at the time I was like, oh, I want to get into the health health science field, maybe mm-hmm. medical field, and then that's when I really kind of buckled down and and started thinking about education more seriously. What was uh, the uh, what made you want to go down the field of trying to be a doctor and all that? I've always liked working with people. I've always liked the rapport that you have when you are in kind of that environment. I did a an internship while I was in high school at a institute institute called the Kessler Institute in New Jersey, and it's a rehab center specifically dealing with spinal cord uh, injuries and burn victims. And so I did a summer. I uh, stayed with one of my aunts over the summer. She lived like a driving distance from this institute. And I basically was just an intern, just helping nurses and doctors and physical therapists, occupational therapists with patients. And some of the things I saw in there were, it was very intense. Uh, Tell big, us dose, so. big dose of reality. So I made I made a couple really good friends who were patients there. Uh, one of them I'm actually, I still talk to today. Uh, she was a uh, an amazing track athlete. She was a star in high school. Uh, and then she got into a terrible car accident and became from overnight became a quadriplegic and couldn't move from the neck down. Uh, today she's doing much better. She, she has full function of, of her body. She still has to you know walk with some assistance, but she's got kids and she lives a full life. Uh, I had another another guy I made friends with when I was there. He was you know just a guy backyard wrestling with his friends, broke his neck, you know paraplegic. Uh, and then I've met a couple other people that were burn victims that I've never seen anything like that before. One guy I met, I thought he was in his 40s, 30s or 40s. Uh, he was always in bandages because he was burned like 70 plus percent of his body. Wow. And uh, it turned out he was only 17 and he was, uh, or 18 or something, really young, was in a horrific fire at his college. And, you know, so you see these people dealt these really difficult hands. And what struck me, not just there, but, you know, the segues into another story, but what struck me was the spirit of these people. You know, they were kicked pretty hard. They were knocked down pretty quickly. And all of them, it was the commonality. There was this this spirit in all of them that just was unfazed. Yeah, I used to be able to run like the wind. Now I can't move my body, but I'm still hopeful. And to me, that was that was profound because when you see someone in that situation, your first reaction is, what would I do if I was in that situation? How would I react? It's difficult to guess, um, but you know you can kind of gauge it. But when you're really lying there and you've got a, you know this halo head brace that's got pins directly into your skull, and you can't move, and people have to feed you, people have to bathe you 24/7. It's a different kind of reality, and that can take a toll on someone's mental state, you know, Definitely. for sure. So seeing these people just have overwhelming positivity was something that I was really drawn to and and seeing how progress in their day progress in their weeks progress in their months changed things uh, that's something that I thought thought I wanted to do so working with people helping people little did I know that 
I would eventually move into an industry that does that, but not on that level. You know, I do uh, affect people and, you know, uh, give them a sense of retreat uh, in films and in games. I like being a part of this industry that both visual effects for film and games that provide people an escape sometimes from reality. And I like being a part of that uh, community and that industry because it's just, it's fun. You know, at the end of the day, you're not saving lives. Although I did hear that uh, Fortnite was kind of uh, instrumental in some anti-bullying somewhere, I think in Australia, because kids found out one kid was getting bullied through these chats through Fortnite and then they intervened. So, you know, in some ways it can, but for the most part, it's just entertainment. And I like being part of the entertainment industry, so. I love that. I love that. What what would, we, what would you say is a defining moment in your life and how did it impact you? Defining moment. Well, first thing comes to mind is becoming a father. That's definitely a defining moment for anybody, I think. Um, it really puts your life into perspective, as well as obviously the little one that you are bringing into the world. Um, it changes so many different things in, in so many small ways that I don't think I was prepared for. For instance, watching films that show kids getting hurt is different to me now. Watching kids getting bullied, you know, the stuff that I would watch and it was kind of just, you just see it and you forget it. Mm. Now I, it's difficult for me to watch because I immediately start thinking, man, I, I, I would give my left arm to make sure that Nico never got bullied like I just saw that or, you know, any anything tragic like that and so you you digest things differently definitely okay. um so yeah i think that's a definitely a defining moment and then you know i have a, a handful of things within my career that i find defining but you know it's it's just a career and i think parenthood's a bit more important definitely what, what were some challenges you faced when you were when you were younger you know that you might feel like nico might might go through the same the same things I have to be perfectly honest. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I had many huge hurdles. Uh, you know, there are difficult times in my life, but I don't think there were anything, obviously at this point, there's nothing that I didn't overcome. And I, you know, I hear so many other stories from people that have really difficult situations and, and overcoming those, but I, I've had a pretty, happy life even as a kid you know there's a big difference because me and my family moved around the world constantly so there was a lot of adjustment with that but at the same time i had uh, always i had my two other brothers with me always so it was never doing this alone so it's difficult because you know i always had brothers so it i don't know i think uh i think i'll just need to cross that bridge when I get there. Like when Nico experiences something that is, uh, for lack of a better term, life lesson or a life experience, sit down and talk with him. The, the, the thing that we focus more on with him is just providing a space for him and a understanding that he can come to me and Haley for anything, anything. Like there will be, there will be a no judgment zone uh, and no matter what happens, that he can always come to us for anything. And I think it's important for someone to have that, especially 
going through life as an only child potentially or you know doing things on your own solo that you always have that that uh, security net um emotionally and physically uh to always fall back on you just gotta you gotta make two more brothers for him right so that he yeah yeah we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> we're, we're getting up there in the years so we'll see all right let's move on to the last topic of the day which is love um i know i know you're you're one of three uh tell us was there like sibling rivalry you know growing up was there was it or was it all love oh no no we fought all the time like when you share the same room with two other people for the first 12 years of your life there will be fights especially when you're all boys competitive you know uh we used to get into horrible fights like horrible horrible fights uh we always had rules you couldn't hit in the face and stuff like that um but it's just the nature of being all three of us are very headstrong uh stubborn to a fault and driven so that all three of us you know that's just oil and water at the best of times obviously as we got older things leveled out but um yeah there was always always bickering and fighting um because you're around two other people 24 7 and you're all doing the same things and you're all trying to do the same things so there's a natural competitiveness that happens i love that tell us what what, what is love what is love Oof. to me love is uh is selfless it's uh altruistic it's 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 putting something or someone else before you mm. i think ultimately um and i think it's yeah it, it's difficult to describe but i think selfless i think is is the way i would see it especially being a father you know the the love for your child is it's something else that's very difficult to describe what, who would you say was your first love my first love oh uh <laughs> it would have probably been in high school you know uh my i guess my first serious girlfriend in high school okay uh, yeah what was it was it when you when you got your first girlfriend did your brothers like were they like ooh, justin got a girlfriend was there like competition like to see who could get like the first girlfriend or no no there's no competition there although there were it was it got a little weird in middle school and high school there were girls that like treated us like a, like a trading card set, like got to date all three of them. And I've, fortunately, I've never dated any girl that ever has ever dated my brothers. However, Chris and Jeremy have dated the same girl before, maybe, maybe twice before. I don't remember. Uh, but I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not into that at all. So you guys can keep on, keep on going. <laughs> how do you, how do you show them? The way I show love is I give. Like um, I believe, I firmly believe that when you're in a position to give back, it is an obligation, not anything but an obligation to do so. Mm. So uh, that's why throughout my career, I, I've I've been a part of different schools in terms of mentorship programs where I teach kids how to do what I do in the visual effects industry and in the game industry. Mm. Uh, I've released um, their online workshops for what I do. 
And then simple things like every year during Christmas, my favorite time is Christmas, not because it's, well, because it's Christmas and it's awesome, but it's because I get to give. And I, I'm, I don't, honestly, I don't want anything at Christmas. Everybody asks, you ask anybody, I'm the hardest person to shop for, mainly because when I see something, I just get it bad with money, but also because I don't really need or want anything. I just want to be with the family and, and I'd rather just give stuff to them. I, I don't really want anything in return. So for me, I think a big part of showing my love for uh, people and family and friends is, is giving back. Um, I you guys were, were all adopted. Um, was there ever like a, like a love connection or a disconnection when you guys first got into the family? Like, was there like a... No, I mean, we were so young. We were two when we entered the family. So my first memories are with them. And there was never, there was never a doubt, never an issue. In fact, even being adopted wasn't, I mean, I know my brother Chris is doing this whole new series of this adoption podcast series where they dive more into that. But personally for me, I, I've never had an issue with being adopted. I've never had fears of abandonment, you know, the typical things that some adoptees go through. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a testament to my parents and the way they raised us. And, you know, we also had a advantage because we grew up in international school systems, international environments where everybody's different. It's not like growing up in upstate New York where, you know, you rarely see anybody but, you know, a white person. Uh, so it was it was this it was a normality for us where everybody's different. Everybody's coming from somewhere else. Everybody's bringing in a different culture. We're living in different cultures every you know three to five years. So, yeah, I, I don't yeah, I don't think there was ever a time where we didn't feel loved or there was this weird barrier between our parents and our family. Cause you know, we have older brother and older sister who aren't adopted. So there was never an issue there. And they were seven, eight years older than us three. So we always just, it was always just normal, normal for us. Okay. What, what would, uh, what are, what are three pieces of life advice you have for the youth? Life advice. So the first one is I firmly believe that one should pursue the things they think about every day. And I'm not talking about, oh, I've got to pay bills. I got to do this. I'm talking about the things that you daydream, you know, take a note about the things that you daydream every day. It could be, you know, playing sports or, you know, playing video games, you know, whatever, you know, but for me, I did think about movies. I, I was a, I'm a huge film buff. I love films. I love movies. I love the whole experience of it. And so that was one thing while I was going through pre-med where I didn't think about being a doctor every day. In fact, I rarely thought about being a doctor, mm. but I did think about movies all day. And I was like, maybe there's something there. And fortunately I did find an avenue that allowed me into that industry. Uh, but I, I firmly believe you need to just take note of the things that you're thinking about every day, because those are the things that when it gets hard, you're still going to do it because it's less of an obligation. It's more of a interest. I don't want to use the word passion because there's connotations with that, but you know, think about what you're interested in because that's where, uh, if you can get there, it, it is, will never ever be a job. Like for me working on Fortnite, doing characters for this game, 
this you know cultural phenomenon that is this game it's something else like i don't feel like i'm working honestly i feel like i'm doing personal projects all day uh and it's just a lot of fun um so i feel very fortunate that i've been able to find this this avenue but that's one piece of advice is you know pursue the things that you're really interested in uh the second one would be um you don't get what you don't ask for. So a lot of people I find they often sell themselves short, uh, especially I've seen it countless times in my industry where you have really talented, gifted people, but they sell themselves short. They don't understand their worth. So uh, you, you can't get what you don't ask for. If you don't ask for it, there's no way you're going to get it. So always strive for a little bit more it's you know the classic negotiate technique if you want one dollar ask for two uh you're not always going to get it in fact 95 percent of the time you won't get it but there is always that five percent that will happen and but it will be zero percent if it never you never take that chance so don't be afraid to take chances because you never know you know when the the you know the universe aligns and the planets align and things work out those mouths don't get fed yeah yeah and the last piece last piece uh hmm. say something about fatherhood for all the all the maybe all the fathers that are listening right now what's it what's it like you know i know five-year-old what is that is that, what that, that kindergarten? say again it's five that's kindergarten you he's gonna start this year in kindergarten yeah yeah so what's what's uh what about for all the fathers Shooting yeah fathers. yeah i don't want to <laughs> Like parenthood is a very, it's a strange thing. Like it's different for everybody. Uh, there's no rule book. Um, what works for you will not work for someone else. What works from some for someone else will not work for you uh, mm -hmm. because every child is different. Um, but I think it is without doubt the greatest thing I've ever done. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, Come on, Justin. So, share, share some father tips, man. People need to know. <laughs> what are the, do they do? They stop I, their friends. Or like, what's going on? No, I think for me, we try to, like, I did explain a little bit earlier. You know, fostering an environment where he feels safe. Um, you know, th there are there are things that we do that we're finding that we do instinctively uh, when we get frustrated. And there are repercussions for that when it becomes a pattern behavior. You know, when you get frustrated with, say, your kids having a temp temper tantrum or they're difficult, they want don't want to cooperate, um, it's easy to get upset and angry. Uh, but at that point, you're just fighting fire with fire because kids at this age especially, um, they don't have the cognitive ability to process these big emotions that they're feeling. Mm. And you have to realize that you have to understand that when they're throwing a tantrum, this is their way of dealing with this massive emotion of, of frustration of uh, expectation. I have this expectation. I want to do something and it didn't happen. You know, these are big things that even as adults, we don't deal with very well. So imagine a five-year-old. So taking a step back in those moments is difficult, but it's important. And instead of yelling, instead of getting angry, fighting fire with fire, you just give them space. Let them, you know, let the dust settle, keep a calm attitude, 
uh, and talk to them rather than yell at them. Uh, because as life goes on, they're going to realize that they can deal with these big emotions without being conflicted with it 24-7. And they do have people that are there for them when they feel overwhelmed. Uh, and I think that's important. I love it. Okay. Uh, and then uh, just to kind of wrap it up, uh, I kind of want to do a time capsule right now where mm -hmm. that Nico's going to see this, you know, when he's 18. Uh, what, oh, is, man. what is one thing you're going to say to him in this video and that you, that you, that you, you know, what, what message you want to leave for him? Uh, what message? Well, obviously that I, I love him to bits and I hope that I just hope that he finds what he's looking for, you know, and I hope that I can be a part of that for him uh, and, and provide some guidance along the way. Okay. Well, here you go, Nico. Hope you find what you're looking for by the time you're 18, man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, before I forget, 88 Real Estate Media is looking for members to join the oversight committee to build the best Kung Fu school in the world. Uh, send us a message if you want to learn more. Other than that, uh, Justin, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Instagram, LinkedIn. I don't. I, I know Chris is like this massive TikTok thing now. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even have TikTok. I'm still trying to wrestle with the concept of it. I don't quite understand it. Because uh, every time Chris sends me a TikTok video, all I'm thinking of is how much time did he spend working on that? Like that's 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 a lot of time you got to spend memorizing not just dialogue, but inflections and tone. And I mean, that's like that's like a stage play. You, you've got to rehearse it over and over and over again. So that's all I think about every time he sends me a TikTok video. And he sends a lot of them. So I'm like, man. That's that's a commitment. So yeah, good thing he has a day job, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you guys soon.